so much for tuning in and welcome everyone i hope you're well i'm your host ben lively and you're listening to shaken awake episode number 49 i just wanted to thank you for tuning in with us today wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment it means everything uh, to me to share the messages that god has laid on my heart to share with you and as always i promise you another great show But more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord, not just another podcast episode. So just a quick favor or an ask of you, if you find value or if you have found value in these episodes, would you kindly take 30 seconds after the show to uh, just go submit a quick review and a star rating on the device you listen to? And what this does is it uh, potential listeners look for this feedback. Uh, it's kind of word of mouth when deciding whether to give the show a listen or not. So it's it's confirmation from other listeners that it can bring value. So would you do that for me if and only if you find value in these episodes? I, I can't thank you enough. So uh, without further delay, let's get ready to invite God in with us right here, right now, and allow him to speak directly to your heart and mind. So today's topic is on what are the Beatitudes and how and why do they matter to me? And before I start, I just have to throw this in. I've said this several times on these podcast episodes. You know, God and the Holy Spirit give me some kind of confirmation um, before these uh, episodes, I, I start recording, uh, and today was yet another one. I woke up, and uh, first thing I do, and I recommend everyone, is to download, if you don't already have it, it's called Version. It's either online uh, or pretty much an app on whatever device you have, and um, I, I get a uh, verse of the day sent to me every day, and the very verse that it's sent today was right out of Matthew 5 that we're going to be reading. It's one of the Beatitudes. Um, No coincidence there. Just another confirmation. And man, that lit me up. Almost didn't need my coffee this morning. (laughs) Uh, So first, you know, one, one reason this topic is so vitally important is it's not taught in the churches. I've never once heard the term Beatitudes in my entire life. Yeah, there they are. Plain as day, but as powerful as Jesus made them to be staring right at us in the the book most will never read i'm just being honest here you know if this isn't you then then great and god bless you but it it was it was for me uh, for the first 41 years of my life as i study the word of god and listen to and observe sermons and church services i'm still yet to hear a preacher preach on these it doesn't mean they don't it means i've never heard it So I assume, and God has given me a confirmation that many are in the same boat. And and the conviction to speak on them to you today was was, uh, overwhelming for me. So they're highly important to how we should live our lives and who God blesses. So the Beatitudes, uh, statements or characteristics and blessings are part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke and it's recorded in the book of Matthew. 
each beatitude looks at uh, different circumstances of life and how all Christians are blessed through their faith. And through these eight beatitudes, Jesus teaches of uh, uh, virtues and values in life that will result in blessings and rewards. You know, these beatitudes are not singled out for specific people. They are blessings applicable to all Christians. These scriptures will encourage you and give you hope as you face each day, knowing that you are called blessed. No matter your age, job, family role, if you apply the Beatitudes to your life, you will experience a joyful and fulfilled life. So I know I wanted to look at the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. Actually, I just wanted to look at the introduction to the sermon. Again, it's called the Beatitudes. And I think this, this passage of scripture holds some important truths for us. I think there's so much in this passage that we can learn from, that we can be challenged by, we can be encouraged by. And whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been following Jesus for a long, long time, I think there's just some incredible stuff in this passage. So I really want to dive into this and see what it holds for us today and while we're still alive and as we continue our lives. But before we get to that, let me just ask a question and you don't need to share this with anyone. So don't don't freak out. You can keep this internal, but I, I just want to start with a question. What do you need for you to say... I have a good life. What would it take for you to say, I'm blessed? What do you need to have? What do you need to happen? What do you need to change? What would it take for you to say, I have a good life? What do you need? Do you need a a house, a bigger house, a better house? Your house paid off, a good job, a certain amount of money as you need him? Do you need her? Do you need health? Do you need peace? How about good vacations, a promotion, fame, power people like you want to do with your time to your team to win the Super Bowl? You know, what what do you need to have a good life now? I want you to think about that honestly. Because I know sometimes we can think a little unselfishly where we're, we're like, uh, you know, I know what the answer to this question is, but actually consider where's your life going? Look at the decisions that, that you've made over the past few years. The direction your life is heading. What would that say? That you actually need to have a good life? Be honest with yourself. What does your life tell you about the direction that you're going to have a good life? Just think about that. I don't want to step on your toes a little bit. I want to throw a pebble or two in them, in your shoes. Have you ever got one of those things that you thought you needed and uh, you thought, uh, once I get this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have the good life, right? Then I'll be blessed once I get this. And then you get it and it's great for a few weeks, for a, for, for a month, but eventually it does. It, it, it lets you down. It doesn't deliver what what it promised or what you promised, what you had hoped for. Maybe you thought you needed to get married to be happy. And then you get married or you got married and you realized that doesn't really fulfill that deep longing that you have in your life. Maybe you thought once I get X amount of money, 
or this job or this fame or, or whatever, then I'll, then I'll be happy. And I can take the good vacations and I can have the good life. But then you got that and it didn't deliver what you hoped. So here's what I found in my life. Maybe you can relate. You know, oftentimes the things I think I need, the things I think I need to have a good life, once I get them, they don't provide for me what I had hoped they would provide for me. It just leaves me wanting more. And so I go to the next thing and then the, ne the next thing and the next thing, hoping that the next thing will finally deliver what I'm chasing after. You see, I, I used to think when I would get, you know, get married, then I'll have the good life. When I was, I was like, once I'm married, once I have a happy marriage and I'll be happy, then I'll have the good life and I'll be blessed. But what I found, even though my wife's great, and even though we have a great marriage, is I can't put that much pressure on someone else to provide that for, uh, for me. Do you understand where I'm coming from and going? So I realized that, that marriage isn't going to be what makes me ultimately happy. It's not going on uh, what helps me step into this life that I'm longing for. So I thought, well, maybe I need to be married and have money. Because, you know, when you're married, you know, we were young, we didn't, we didn't have much money. So I thought maybe once we have a house and some money in the bank and we start hitting these financial goals, and then they'll be you know happy and I'll have a good life. So I, I chased after that and I found every time I checked a box, every time you know when we bought a house, when we saved more money, I just found I needed something more. So I thought maybe, maybe I need to be married, have some money, and have kids, which <laughs> those last two don't really go together, but you know, it was worth a try. So we had two kids and and uh, I found the same thing. I can't put any pressure on a person, whether it be my wife or my kids, to provide for me a good life. It's not fair to put that money and amount of pressure on any person. And so my, my life went on. I just kept searching the world for the good life, the full life. And I've always come too empty, looking for more, wanting more. Does that describe anyone else listening? Does this describe you? Just be honest with yourself. Look at your life. Are you searching for that next thing, hoping that that will provide for you the blessed life, the good life? What do you need? See, what we're going to do on today's episode and in this passage in Scripture is Jesus is going to give us a different way to live a better life and a better way to live. And we're going to hear these words. We're going to think, I, I don't know, Jesus. I, I don't know if that sounds like the good life to me. In fact, that sounds like the opposite of the good life because what Jesus does is he kind of reverses the way that we think about what a good life is. He redefines the term of what it means to live a good life. And listen, it's not easy to follow. It's really it's a really difficult pill to swallow because Jesus says some pretty controversial and kind of counter-cultural things. But I think it's important when we start thinking that when we start reading these words and think, I don't want that to define my life because that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound blessed. Let's, let's be honest. Remember back to this pursuit. We're trying all these things the world has to offer and none of them add up. And if this way of life isn't working, maybe we ought to try what Jesus says is best, even if it's difficult. If you're tired of trying to find the good life and, and what the world has to offer, Jesus has a better way to live. So let's dive into what Jesus says, okay? 
It starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to really see what Jesus has to say about how we can find the good life. It's Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to him. So let's pause here for a minute. This section, as I said, is called the Beatitudes, which means full of blessings or full of God. Simply put, Jesus is saying, this is how you can have a blessed life. This is how you can have the good life. This is the way my kingdom works. This is how life really works. And his audience in in that morning, as he climbed up on the mountainside, they were primarily Jewish. And this would have reminded them in the audience of uh, Moses uh, coming down the mountain carrying uh, the Ten Commandments. Except when Jesus starts his teaching, he's not giving a list of do's and don'ts. He is saying, this is how life really works. If you want to have the good life, this is what you must do. And he establishes something that's world shattering. It's, it's That was never seen before. And it kind of takes the crowd back a little bit. And what Jesus is expecting his followers to do is not to just look at this as a list of things and say, those are really good in practice or those are really good in theory. No, he expects us to actually live this out. These should actually be the indicators for our life. And I want to start by just reading the whole passage. And as I read it, I just want you to consider and ask, do these things mark your life? Are these the markers for your life? And then we'll go back through and we'll break down each one of them. But first, I just want us to look at kind of the 30,000 foot view. I want you to hear the words and to consider, are these the markers for your life? So he, he says this at the beginning of chapter five and lists all of the Beatitudes, which reads, He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those of you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll be honest, that doesn't sound like a good life to me. That doesn't sound like a blessed life. I mean, when we sit down and we think, what are the indicators of a good life? We're probably not going to think of poor. We're probably not going to think of mourning. Uh, we're, we're probably not going to be thinking of meek. We're probably not going to think of someone who's hungry or thirsty. We're definitely not going to think of someone who's persecuted. That's not the indicators of a good life. At least not what the world says to be the good life. In fact, it's often found in the absence of those things, right? When I'm not hungry, when I'm not thirsty, when I'm not poor, when I'm not mourning, that's the good life, right? But Jesus has given us a different way to live. And again, did all those other things really provide for you what you hoped? Because Jesus has given us a different way. He's confronting culture. He's confronting how we approach life, how we think about life how we see through the lens in which we view life through. You see, Jesus is saying, this is how life really works. So I want to back 
uh, go back through and I want to break down each one of these down just a little bit because I believe there's so much in this that uh, we can learn from. So let's look at the first beatitude. The first thing that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now this doesn't mean that there's these people uh, are poor and no money. Hey, I was poor growing up, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about the zeros in our bank account. What he's talking about is our spiritual condition. He's saying, blessed are those of you who recognize your spiritual condition is pretty bad. And there's nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven, to get into heaven. You know, Blessed are those who are powerless, who are helpless, who are undeserving, who realize there's no amount of good they can do to outweigh the bad. They're spiritually bankrupt. And they don't sound very blessed to us. But Jesus says they're blessed because God's not forgotten them. See, the poor in spirit, uh, those who, who recognize there's nothing they can do on their own, are blessed because God is going to do that for them, what they cannot do for themselves. And this flies in the face of the way the world operates, right? Because in the world, you know, it's the powerful the put together those who uh, who go after it, who push through adversity, who who rise to the top on their own power. They're the ones. They're the ones that are blessed, right? Wrong. But in God's kingdom, it's the one it's the ones who admit they're weak. They're broken, they're messy. They're the ones that inherit the kingdom of God. So blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus builds on it with the second one. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, Jesus, again, isn't talking about grief or the loss of a loved one. The Bible talks about that plenty, that God is close to the brokenhearted. Here, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn their sin. He's building off the previous beatitude. The first one, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual condition. Then he kind of follows it up with step two. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. And I love that Jesus follows it up with, they will be comforted. God is so close to us in our brokenness. He's not repulsed. He's not running away. He draws near to us when we bring him our sin. You see, when we hide our sin, the world tells us we need to. And we need to have our lives together. Even if we don't, we need to pretend. We need to put on the right face, right? But it's just a facade. And the problem is when you hide your brokenness, when you hide your sin, it festers. It's like a, a wound. It needs to be cleaned. Otherwise, it's going to get infected the same way with sin. We need to bring it to God so he can not only comfort us, but heal us and restore us. And I know some of us, we grew up in a church or uh, we grew up in a home where we were ridiculed and beat up for our sin. But listen, that's not what God wants to do. When we bring him our sin and our mistakes, he's not there waiting to say, I knew it. I knew you were going to screw up. I knew you couldn't get it right. And he doesn't want to beat us up. No, he wants to comfort us. He wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. That's why we are blessed when we mourn our sin. Because God draws near, uh, near to us and comforts us. The next beatitude says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And the previous two statements, Jesus was talking about our own personal recognition of our sin and of our condition. And, and now Jesus switched gears here and he starts talking about our outward uh, posture, right? Right? 
how we approach the world. A good definition of meek would be um, strength under control. So my, my son is now about about to be 14 years old. And one of the things he loves to do is he loves to uh, wrestle and, and play fight. He loves, he loves to try to tackle me and do moves on me. But listen, when we're wrestling and we're, we're play fighting, I'm being meek, right? I mean, I, I could end it with one shot, with one blow. He'd be down. I'm bigger than him. I'm older than him. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than him. I can end it, but I don't. I keep my strength under control for his benefit and for his enjoyment. And that's what God's calling us to do. As we interact with others, as we interact with the world, he's saying, I want you to have your strength under control. You don't need to throw your weight around to get what you feel like you want or you feel like you deserve. And that's how the world operates, isn't it? I mean, you've probably taken some shots for, uh, from some people that were using their strength to get ahead and it kicked you down. But for followers of Jesus, that shouldn't be us. We should have our strength under control. We should leverage our power for the benefit of those around us and not for the benefit of ourselves, right? So Jesus continues, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And the kind of thirst that Jesus is describing here is like someone who needs water or they'll die. Followers of Jesus should be hungry and thirsty to that level for what righteousness for, for God's we will do. The, 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 the world tells us that we don't, that we need to be hungry and thirsty for what makes us happy, for what brings us, you know, satisfaction. But again, haven't you tried that before? It's like drinking salt water. It tastes good for a second, but it never satisfies. You always need more and more and more. And the more you drink, the thirstier you get. And you keep trying to pour into yourself and it never brings you what you had hoped. But what does Jesus say? He says, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's like refreshing water that satisfies us. Listen, when we do God's will, it ends up benefiting ourselves. When we pursue righteousness instead of our own desires, we actually find satisfaction. So Jesus continues with the next beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, we, we have a double standard with mercy, don't we? On one hand, when we make a mistake, we love to receive grace. We love to receive mercy. But when someone else or somebody else makes a mistake... And particularly, uh, you know, one that affects us, we want them to get what they deserve, right? We've got a double standard. We want grace, but we are often stingy with grace. And what Jesus is saying is people who hold on to the wrongs that have been done against them can't also hold on to the grace that God has for them. You can't hold on to unforgiveness and accept forgiveness, and yeah, it's not fair, but it wasn't fair for Jesus to go on the cross for our mistakes either, was it? See, when you are forgiven of much, you can forgive those around you. And that doesn't make the wrongs that were done against you okay. No, it's really, really hard. But Jesus, the saying is when we extend mercy, when we extend grace to people who don't deserve it, we shall receive mercy for what we have done. You see, the good life belongs to those who don't give what is deserved to the people around them. The good life belongs to those who give people what they need. What we do for the least of them, we do 
we do it to him. Next beatitude is this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The religious people in Jesus' day, they were obsessed with ceremonial cleanliness. Then all these rituals, right, for, for washing hands and keeping up the appearances, keeping up with the Joneses, right, and making it seem like they were holy and righteous. But behind the scenes, Jesus continually points out that their hearts were a mess. I think we've got the same problem today. We're really good at putting on a face and coming into a building. We're really good at posting the right pictures on social media. We're really good at pretending like we're doing all the right things. But I know for me, my heart's a mess. I've interacted with enough people to know that their heart is often a mess too. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, we often try to fix our actions. We haven't tried to fix our actions and make it appear like we're doing right. But the problem is not our actions. The problem is our hearts. Out of our heart flows our actions. And I found in my life when I want to deal with sin or something that's going wrong in my life, I don't treat the symptoms. I treat my heart because out of the heart flows my actions. And I'm not saying our actions don't matter. They do. I'm just saying when we want to fix the actions that are wrong in our life, we should fix the root cause and not the symptom. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who deal with what's on the inside because that's what matters. He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And what I, what I love about this, Jesus uses the word peace. He's saying the one who has received the peace of God and extends that peace to those around him. And Jesus said, when we are peacemakers, we should be called sons of God. It's an interesting term that we really don't use too much anymore outside of the Bible. But in Jesus, in his day, in Jesus's day, this wasn't a statement of, um, of relationship as in like an actual son. This was a statement of character. So when you called somebody a son of a, you know, fill in the blank, not 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 the word you're thinking, a son of a, a king or, or a son of something else, you were saying that that person was acting like that person could be good or bad. So when Jesus says that you'll be a son of God, he's saying you're acting like God when you bring peace somewhere, when you're taking on the character of God, because he, he brought peace to us because of our sin, because of our mistakes. We were enemies of God. And because of what he did, he brought peace to us. And now we can enter into a, a peaceful relationship. And now we're called to do the same. And listen, doesn't the world need that right now? I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of peace in our culture and society. And for followers of Jesus, we should be taking peace everywhere we go. Not dumping gas on the fire, but bringing peace the last thing, the last thing that Jesus said uh, says is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is one <laughs> we wished wasn't included, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted. I think it's important that we, we pay attention on that second piece. For what? For righteousness, uh, for righteousness sake. You see a lot of Christians that, that claim they're being persecuted, but in reality, they're being persecuted because they said some really dumb and hurtful things. 
Jesus is saying, when you get persecuted for righteousness, when you get persecuted for doing my will, not your own will, then you are blessed. But Jesus isn't even done yet. If you go to the next verse, look at Matthew 5, 12. He says, when you're persecuted, you should rejoice and be glad. I mean, come on, Jesus. All right, you want me to be persecuted? Oh, okay. But you want me to rejoice and be glad? I mean, how is that even possible? You know, the word rejoice is an interesting word. It actually could be translated a couple of different ways in English. Uh, we have a bunch of ways to translate it, but in Greek, the word it was it was originally written in is one of these two things. It's either it's either a, a greeting, like when I see you, I could say the word rejoice. You know, hi, how are you doing? Or it could also mean to display excessive joy beyond what the circumstances allow. So the question is, how could Jesus tell us to rejoice when we're being persecuted? How could he tell us to rejoice when we're being lied to and about when we're, we're being criticized, when we're being falsely accused? How can he say, rejoice? It's a really difficult thing to understand, but I believe what Jesus is doing here is that he's summing all this up and really he summed the gospel up. What he's saying, saying the good life isn't found in all these the good life is found in a person, found in Jesus. And when you have Jesus, all this other junk doesn't matter because Jesus plus nothing equals everything to the good life. You know, we also, we often pursue in all these things in this famous power, this money, these this, you know relationships. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you can have nothing. You can be persecuted. You can be beaten. You can be lied about. And you can still have the good life if you have me. And that's how you can be persecuted and lied about and rejoice. Because the, the world can take everything, but they can't take Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just say that he lives he went to the cross for you and me. He experienced pain and death and separation from his father, which I don't think we will ever fully understand the weight of, of what he went through for us so that now we can rejoice and be glad no matter our circumstances. See, if I could sum up the Beatitudes in just a few short words, I call it the great turnaround. The great turnaround Jesus is showing us is how life really works. And in the spiritual realm, things are opposite. You see, the world tells us that the poor, the persecuted, the ones in mourning, they've got nothing. They don't have the blessed life. The very same people, the least, the lost, the forgotten. But in Jesus, it is they who are the ones who that become rich, who become significant, who become favored because they have Jesus. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus today, these should be the indicators uh, for your life. These aren't just good sayings. This should be who we are becoming. This should be who we are transforming into. So let me ask you, does this describe your life? Is this who you are becoming? Are you, are you poor in spirit? Do you recognize your own sinfulness and that you can't do anything to get to heaven except to look to Jesus? Do you mourn in your sin or do you keep it hidden? Do you bring it to God or do you pretend it doesn't, it doesn't exist? Or are you meek? 
good stories are told in in conflict. So good stories have like tragedy. Uh, good stories have characters uh, characters who who face overwhelming challenges and go through struggles. So what a what a good story is made of, and if that's true, it's that there's a the good story is that God has a good story for for you. Then we're not going to have an easy life, but you know we will have a meaningful life, and I think that's what we want, isn't it? I mean, do you want your life to matter? Do you want your life to make an impact long after you're gone? your life to still be living on by the impact that you made on the others around you because that's what Jesus is inviting us to. It's what he's inviting you into. He never promised you an easy life. He never promised me an easy life. He didn't promise us a life full of comfort. He promised us that he would be with us. He promised you he would be with you. He said, the good life is found when you follow me. Even in the middle of really difficult circumstances, if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have it all. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's a really hard life. I have to remind myself that if I have Jesus, I have more than enough. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. Because my guess is you're like me. If you're not careful, you're going to start thinking, man, I don't have a good life because I don't have X, Y, and Z. But listen, if you have Jesus, you can have the good life. And you will. You can have peace and joy and hope that aren't dependent on your circumstances. What you need to do is you need to get alone with God regularly and remind yourself of that. So in my closing, my final statement is this. You need to get alone with God. I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's a reminder on your phone. Maybe it's uh, creating a new habit, a new cadence this year, or perhaps every time you drive into work, you, you spend five or 10 minutes just reminding yourself to view life through a kingdom lens. But, but listen, you need those reminders. You won't naturally glide into this life that Jesus has invited you into. You have to intentionally keep your eyes focused on Jesus. When you take your eyes off of him, you'll sink like Peter when he was walking on the water. But when you keep your eyes on him, you'll rise above the waves. You know, I don't know what this year holds for you, but what I do know is this year can be an incredible year for you regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what happens, regardless of the news you get. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, I believe that this can be an incredible year for you. So don't lose sight. Don't give up. Embrace the story and the path that he has laid out for you. It will not be easy, but I promise you it will be worth it. So my final question to you is, is this. See, the, the challenge out of this passage for us to view life through a kingdom lens, to reject all the things the world tells us that we need, and it, it's said to view it through what Jesus says is best. So are you using your strength for the benefit of those around you? Do you hunger and thirst for your own desires, or do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you merciful? Are you extending grace to those in your life who don't deserve it? Are you a peacemaker or are you dumping gasoline on the fire? 
Do you rejoice in the trials and tribulations of life because you understand that you have Jesus and that's all that matters? So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you all again for uh, tuning in and I hope you were touched by today's message in scripture. If you'd like to reach out to me, please call me directly at 407-493-3208. Email me at ben at shaken-awake.com or check out the show at shaken-awake.com. And next week, tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we discuss America is the modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. How to prevent being judged along with it. So next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. And until next week, take great care of yourself and each other. And God bless you all. 